This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. but not really i'm your host brian edwards and i'm your other host steven trigar welcome back welcome back sorry second episode of 2022 yeah time is flying by already it's almost the end of january anyway oh my goodness i know yeah yeah well, today I have some interesting, more of a an older take on, on a topic, because I usually do a lot more modern, pop culture-y things, but I thought I'd take us back. Let's go back. Take us back to a, to a, a, a couple of, of artists that I am actually huge fans of, and are actually, I would consider that, well, both of them together, but specifically one of them as my favorite artist of all time. Um, so... Have you heard of the Delonais? I have. The French artist couple, the Delonais. I, <laughs> I have. Um, well, they're my favorite. I know. Specifically, Robert. Robert Delonais. Robert. Which most people would just say Robert. Robert Delonais. Robert, Robert Delaney. Del- Delaney. Which is how As Google, Google Translate, Google translate say. would say it in English is Delaney, which is horrible and wrong and incorrect. Um, but yes, Robert Delaunay or Robert Victor Felix Delaunay, because he's got the, the quad name going on. Yeah, a lot um, of those people at this time did. And his wife, Sonia Delaunay, which she's got kind of an interesting history to her, so we'll get into her in the second half of this episode. But they are a French, they were a French artist couple who, along with others, basically co-founded the Orphism art movement, which mm. was tied mostly to like Cubism back in the, the early 1900s. Um, yeah. And that art movement is most noted for its use of strong colors and geometric shapes. Um, but I wanted to first start talking about uh, Robert. 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 He's more noted as being the, like, between the two of them, the, the more prolific yeah. in a way just because he, he did a lot more had a lot more connections and stuff and while Sonia has plenty of her own merits their their work is all very intertwined with one another so right. first I'll talk with I want to talk about Robert so Robert I don't know if I can continue saying it that way for the rest of the episode but Robert we can just say Robert and we all know that yeah. it's Robert Robert was born on April 12th 1885 in Montpellier is that how you say that? Montpellier. Montpellier, France, to his father, George Delaunay, and Countess Bertha Felice de Rose. Wow. I don't know if I said that correctly, but they probably... It's pretty close. Eh, close enough. Um, and early in his life, his parents divorced, and he was raised by his mother's sister, Marie, and her husband, Charles Damour, uh, in La Ranchère, near Bourges. Did I get any of that right? La Roche, um, and yeah, your Bouget. Bouget. Um, again, 
lots of I should preface this by saying there's a lot of French in this episode, so I will do my best to say it correctly, but I'll probably just try to repeat it with how I would say it in English just so that people who might want to look up this stuff on their own have uh yeah more of an idea of how this how to say it um, <clears throat> but when he was uh in school, he failed his like exams like the you know like every school has the big standard exams. Um, so when he failed it, he said he wanted to become a painter and his uncle in 1902 sent him to, uh, Ronsin, uh, Ronsin's Atelier, which is like a studio of like, basically like a, like an art house kind right. of thing. Um, and I was trying to look up the specific Atelier, but the, uh, and what I was able to find is, I think based on what my research that I did is the same is the same it's like an it was like a neighborhood art collective kind of thing called right. the, the impasse rosine and i think that's what it that's the the, the same one mm-hmm. um but when i was looking up the most notable artist talked about in that in this uh collective was brancusi so um, if that's any idea of like yeah. other artists that i mean so many artists went through this this thing um but he went there to study decorative arts and it was located in the Belleville district of Paris. 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 <laughs> Paris. Um, and at the age of 19, he left Ronson to focus entirely on painting and contributed six works, six works to the Salon des de Independents. <laughs> Independent. I got that kind of right. Yeah. Salon well, d'Independent. Is it with, even with the S at the end? Mm-hmm. There's, you don't pronounce yes. Oh, well, it basically is, it translates to the organization um, is the Society of Independent Artists, which was formed in Paris on July 29th, 1884. Um, And the most notable, well, it was founded by a collective of artists, but the most notables were Paul Cezanne, Mm -hmm. Paul Gauguin, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, Camille Pissarro, Albert Dubois-Pillet, Odilon Redon, Georges Seurat, and Paul Signac. Pretty, pretty big are, names out there. Yeah, there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of those big names. Um, and their whole goal was to have the right to present their works in the public with no restrictions, which was really their only condition. They had a, a, a bylaws, like it was a whole organization. It wasn't just like a bunch of friends, but uh, article number one of their bylaws of their organization say, the purpose of Société des Artistes Indépendants, <laughs> did my best, uh, based on the principles of abolishing admission jury, is, allow, is to allow the artist to present their works to the public judgment with complete freedom. Huh. Um, and the salon, which was kind of like a, a yearly hosted kind of actual, like an actual salon, the way that they would like, yeah, like a gallery. Yeah. Um, it was closed uh, because of World War One, and uh, even though it never reopened, the organization still exists and is still active today. So the the actual society is still active, but the physical salon is right no it, longer. I think they just they couldn't keep yeah. it open in good faith during a wartime in France. Yeah. Um, but during, uh, back to, back to Robert, um, <laughs> right after he, he contributed these works to this salon, he went to Brittany, which is a region in France, um, 
where he was influenced by uh, the group of Pont Avin, which was a, like a school of art that was founded in this area. Um, Pont Avin, <laughs> for those trying to look up how to spell Pont Avin. But, um, and so their work, if you look at their work, it's very obvious the stuff that he was influenced by. It's a lot of bright colors, a lot of form that's very crisp and clean and, right. and, and still abstract at the same time. Um, and in 1906, he contributed the works he painted in Brittany to the 22nd Salon d'Independent, um, <laughs> which is where he actually met uh, Henry Rousseau. Oh, nice. One of the, the uh, impressionist paintings of the time is like one of the big guys. Right. Um, and at the same, this around the same time that he also formed a close friendship with Jean Metzinger, who is another mm. prolific post-impressionist uh, painter. Right. Um, and they actually shared it, uh, and they, they met by sharing uh, an ex- exhibition at a gallery uh, in early 1907. Nice. And the two were actually singled out by an art, art critic at the time, Louis Vosselet, in 1907 as divisionists who used large mosaic-like cubes to construct small but highly symbolic compositions. Hmm. Which is an interesting way to... I mean, I, I don't really know about being an art critic too much, but that's... I would just be like, that's a nice painting. That's nice. I like that one. That one is pretty. That one has colors that make me go smile. <laughs> Um, and it's at this time that the the two are often found painting with one another Hmm. particularly in the years 1906-1907 this is kind of also where he uh, kind of was in the prime of his career which kind of went from 1909 to 1914 Um, and it's during this time that he painted a number of series that include his Saint Severin Saint Severin. Saint Severin series, um, which he painted between 1909 and 1910. Uh, his City series, which he painted between 1909 and 1911. The Eiffel Tower series, which I think most people are like. Yeah, remember. I'm definitely very familiar with those. Um, uh, his, which he painted between 1909 and 1912. The City of Paris series, the Window series, which another one is another one of those mm-hmm. series I think a lot of people are familiar with the Window series. Uh, the Cardiff Team series, the Circular Form series, and the First Disc, which were all in that time. I got right. tired of reading the dates. Wow. <laughs> um, and I think most people just recognize his work as being very bright and colorful, lots yeah. of shapes, and even yeah. even each. You can sort of after lear- learning about it, you can see where his art kind of where the the art periods lay. Like a lot of people probably know the art, the Eiffel Tower series, because it's the very cubist looking, like deconstructed abstract towers. But that was also like early on in his career. Like a lot of his later works uh, end up being a lot more shape, like with like without real shape, abstract shapes and and colors and, and a lot more vibrant. And even that you can see the, the, inspiration of cubism in his work early on and then how he wanted to break away from that later on. Right. Which is just kind of now learning, you know, having my head stuck in that, in that world, learning about all this for a while. It's very obvious to me seeing the, the, 
progression of his work from like like even later on in his life he did another Eiffel Tower painting which was not abstract at all but was much more rooted in his like colorful clean shapes clean lines less yeah. less erraticness um, which I just think is really cool to see the progression of an artist's you know career right um, and I have a lot more to talk about I was I have a whole section on on Sonia that I want to get into but I think first let's take a break. So this next half is going to be a bit longer, but that's usually how these episodes go. Um, and so I wanted to start talking about Sonia and her life. Yeah. Give her a little, little background of her own because they're, like I said, they're both in, important to the same art style that they did. So I'll right. give her equal time and then talk about some other stuff. Um, but yeah, so Sonia was born. Sarah... Elevna? Elevna? It looks right, Elevna. Sarah Elevna Stern on, on, and I'm doing air quotes here, November 13th, 1885 in Odessa, which was then part of the Russian Empire, to Jewish parents. I don't know why I was important to learn, but it was in a lot of the stuff that I found. Um, But it's worth noting, and the reason why I did air quotes is... And a biography written by Stanley Barron and Jacques Demas uh, called Sonia Delaunay, The Life of an Artist, which came out in 1995, they point out that much about Sonia Delaunay's early life is ambiguous or unknown. There were parts of her past that she did not easily discuss. The first 20 years of her life uh, can hardly be detailed, uh, be a detailed account. Even the actual date of her birth is ambiguous. Which Interesting. I Even think, at this late in, in history... Right, I think I think more so it had to do with the fact that I I didn't get any solid evidence, but I get the feeling that she didn't have a good home life, yeah, which is one. probably why she didn't want to talk about it. She never brought it up, um, and even why her name is completely changed from what it was born as. Yeah, um, which makes sense. Because, uh, and I'll get into that. At, at a young age, she moved to Saint Petersburg, where she was cared for by her mother's brother, Henri Turk. Yeah. Um, and Henri, a successful and affluent lawyer, and his wife, Anna, wanted to adopt her, but her mother wouldn't allow it, which again indicates uh, problematic parents, I'm guessing. Right. Um, but finally, in, in 1890, she was adopted by the Turks, uh, and she assumed the name Sonia, which is where she now becomes Sonia. The Turk family, the, not not the Turk family, yeah. not not the not the group of people, <laughs> not the civilization, not the civilization. The Henri Turk, yeah, the Turks as in the Turks, uh, the Turks, not not the not, like the, not the Seljuk Turks, no. yeah, <laughs> the uh, the family of the Turks. She so she assumed the name Sonia Turk and uh, had a privileged upbringing with them. Um, they spent summers in Finland and traveled around uh, Europe, and it's them who introduced Sonia to art museums and galleries. And in, when she was 16, she attended a well-regarded secondary school in St. Petersburg, where her drawing skills were noted by her teacher. And by the time she was 18, 
because at her teacher's suggestion, she was sent to art school in Germany where she attended the Academy of Fine Arts in Karlsruhe. 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 That's how I'm saying it. Karlsruhe. 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 Yeah, Karlsruhe. Whatever. Um, And she studied in Germany until 1905, where she then moved to Paris. 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 Um, When she arrived in Paris, 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 she enrolled at the Académie de la Palette. I'm guessing that's not how you pronounce it. Académie de la Palette. That's what I said. Yeah, get it. I'm getting pretty good. Um, which was located in that uh, school was located in Montparnasse. Parnasse. Montparnasse. Parnasse. Montparnasse. Montparnasse. A-S-A-S-A-S-A-S. But while she was at this school, she was unhappy with their mode of teaching because she thought it was too critical. Um, so... Because all the French are. Because all the French are. That's that's not that's not nice to say. That's not nice. Yeah, that's, right. That's it's not, it's not fair. Even if it's true, it's not fair. <laughs> Sorry, French listeners. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Um, but that's her opinion. So she yeah. she ended up spending more of her time uh, in galleries around Paris and less time at school. <laughs> which which I would do if I were. Yeah. Uh, I prefer to. I wish I could spend every day at the. Philadelphia Museum of Art. Who would? So far away from me now. I know. I used to live like right next to it. Well, it's an inconvenient place to get to, first of all. I know. It's the worst location in Philadelphia to get to because it's, ugh. There's no, like, unless you want to take a bus or whatnot, you have yeah, to. It's, it's, it's so far out of the way from everything that you'd like go into the city for. Yeah. And Ben Franklin Parkway is a nightmare to drive down. To drive down, though, absolutely. And walk down, too. It's like long as fuck and it's. Yeah. Which, yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, digress. But I digress. Um, but during this period, her you can tell her work was strongly influenced by the art she was viewing at these galleries, um, which included the post-impressionist art of Van Gogh, Gauguin, and Henri Rousseau, as, along with the Fauves, which is a, another form of art yeah um which included matisse and Derrin. Uh, in 1908 she entered into a quote-unquote marriage of convenience with a german art dealer uh and gallery owner named wilhelm ude yeah which allowed her access to her dowry and it was also to help cover ude's homosexuality Ooh, i know scandal scandal well, you know, eight, it was early 1900s. Homosexuality right. was right. not anything you'd want to talk about. So, if anything, it helped both them out. For they had both got something out of it. Yeah. Um. So, Sonia gained entrance into the art world via expi- uh, exhibitions at Uda's gallery, and she ended up benefiting from his connections during their time together. Well. Um, at least she at least benefited. At least she benefited from it. Right. And I think they both did. Yeah. I think from the way I read their story, kind of the way it goes, because the story, spoiler alert, ends with them getting divorced because she marries Robert. Of course. Better, yeah. Obviously. Obvi. Um, but I think based on my reading, and I'll get, I'll 
do more of a, a breakdown. I think they had to end up having a pretty good relationship, all things considered. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was anything. I mean, um, so Comtesse de Rose, I'm guessing that's Comtesse de Rose, mm -hmm. which um, is Robert's mother, Contessa Bertha de Rose. <laughs> Contessa Bertha de Rose. Um, she was a regular visitor to Uda's gallery, and sometimes accompanying, uh, sometimes accompanying her was Robert, which is exactly where the two Sonia and Robert met. Ah, uh, early, early love. They met in early 1909, and they became lovers that April. And it was during the time that she also decided she should divorce Uda, and. Uh, uh, the divorce was finalized in August of 1910. And by November of that same year, Robert and Sonia were married. That, with a yeah. baby on the way. With a baby. Wow, that was quick. With a baby on the way. That's quick. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in January 11th, their son Charles was born. And they were supported at the time uh, by an allowance that was sent by Sonia's aunt in St. Petersburg. And I found this cute little quote from Sonia that Sonia said about Robert is, in Robert de Lunay, I found a poet, a poet who wrote not with words, but with colors. Aww. Aww. So cute. So cute. Um, and so it's at this point where they their stories basically merged together. And I think they just became prolific together in their own way. Um, right. I wanted to mention, too, they... they Obviously, for our history buffs out there, a lot of this stuff happens, uh, and their stories took place right around World War One. Mm -hmm. So it's worth noting that during the World Wars, they actually ended up in Spain, and when World War One broke out, they decided just to stay there, and they also moved to Portugal uh, during it as well. But they stayed in that side of Europe, and while. A lot of times, a lot of the early thoughts was, was that Robert was a deserter for not being called to, to the war. To duty, yeah. To duty. It was actually declared that he was unfit to be in the military. So that was all cleared up yeah. during, the, during the, the war. And so they stayed in Spain and Portugal during that time. And a lot of their work at that time is like labeled around the fact that they were in Spain and Portugal. Like... One of my favorite pieces by Robert is called Portuguese Woman. And yeah. It's colorful, like, landscape with a woman in it. Um, and so it's just wanted to, to note that for people that might have been curious what they did during the wars. Um, and similar thing happened because uh, they, well, he, they, built, they both were around for part of World War II. So they did a similar thing, but they went to um, Auvergne, France, which is like the south central part of mm -hmm. uh, France. So I just wanted to to let the the listeners know what they did during the wars. Nice. So, um, but yeah. So again, their work is very linked together. If you look at a lot of their work, they're they're almost like. Sometimes it's hard to tell whose is whose. Yeah, they're, they're very similar. They're very similar artists, which is cool that they, you know, 
they benefited off each other's creativity mm-hmm. that way. Um, but their form of art, which isn't quite as it's a lot more specific than people could lump them in with is they, they their art style was called Orphism, mm. which was coined by the French poet Guillaume Apollinaire in 1912. And it was an offshoot of Cubism, clearly. Man, very. <laughs> but it, it, it differs because it focused on pure abstraction and bright colors, uh, which was influenced by Fauvinism, which, you know, Matisse and Dorian, um, and the theoretical writings of Paul Signac, Charles Henry, and the dye chemist Eugène Chavoul. This movement uh, was perceived as the key in trans- transitioning the uh, from Cubism to abstract mm-hmm. in the way of art movements go. And the style, while pioneered by the Delaunays, was also pioneered by an artist named Frantisek Kupka, but he was also known as Frank or Francois. But the the biggest way to sort of visualize, if you know what cubism is, the way that you can sort of visualize orphism is um, the artists that did it, like Frank, Robert, and Sonia, <laughs> they uh, they relaunched the use of color during the mon- monochromatic phase of cubism. Mm. So if you think about it that way, if you look at the work that they did, it's still cubist, but it's bright. A lot of cubist art is very dull and very yeah, more very... focused on the the abstraction of the form as opposed to the color. Right. Yeah. It's very it's very um, subdued in color. Right. So that's the the biggest thing with with their their. Uh, art form is just visualizing it like think of cubism but what if cubism got vomited on by a rainbow well it's it's like think of think of picasso's most famous paintings some of some of his most famous paintings it's very dark yeah they're all monochromatic they're all like more about the abstraction right but then you take you know orphism and you take that same concept and you just like jackson pollock the fuck out of it yeah and this is a, a little quote that i had is of apollinaire Guillaume Apollinaire uh, describing Orphism, which is the art of painting new totalities with elements that the artist does not take from visual reality, but creates entirely by himself. An Orphic painter's work should convey an untroubled aesthetic pleasure, a meaningful structure, and sublime significance. I love when when these artists try to describe a certain thing well he's a poet so he's very colorful with his words well yeah but my my thing like they always try like they're always like oh this is a new this is a new wave of art but it always sounds like they're describing the same wave of art that they were doing before i think i had a similar thing when i was talking about frank Lloyd Wright and his and their like his form of art and it was like it's a breath of fresh air it opens like the world to the it's like yeah every artist Every mm-hmm. artist thinks that it's a breath of fresh yeah. air. <laughs> Everyone has a meaningful structure and sublime significance. Yeah. Um, I think, and that's even the thing is funny enough in, in the, the life of, of Robert as an artist, he's constantly labeled as like a divisionist or a cubist. And he's constantly like, no, I'm not stop labeling me with them. But it's like, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Like there's like even that like there's a, another art movement that came from him 
like he was in, in, in the influencer of called uh, symbolists. Yeah. Which if you look at their art looks a lot like Orphism. So it's yeah. kind of like, why are you trying to start something brand new when you know it's like going to get just lumped into the sub, uh, the, the, uh, the sub of every other art that's come before it. Right. I mean, yeah. Cubism and Orphism are not, I like separate Orphism is considered a root of cubism. Right. So it's not like they got away from it. They just, it's like, a, it's like a subreddit of, yeah, of cubism. That's all. <laughs> that's all he did was make a subreddit for their specific, right. specific art style. Right. Um, but I'll segue to, to, to the end, towards the end of our story. Uh, Robert, uh, didn't actually have a very long life, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. He passed away from cancer on October 25th, 1941, in Montpellier at the age of 56. So young. Uh, cancer's, cancer's a bitch. It is, yeah. Um, yep, and yep. funny enough, in uh, 1952, his body was reburied in Gambe. Yeah. Uh, which is like an area of France, Perry, Perry, France. Um, Sonia. Uh, lived much longer. She died uh, December 5th of 1979, where she was 94. Wow. She really... Yeah. Um, she was also buried in Gambe, right next to Raul Robert's grave. Did she is, remarry at all? Uh, not that I've seen, no. Okay. She, well, she, I would imagine if she was buried right next to, to Robert. Yeah, I don't think she ever did. Um, and then a little quick thing is their son, uh, Charles Delaunay, he uh, is, has his own little prolificness going on he is uh he became a, an expert in jazz during the thir- 1930s he was a jazz critic he organized jazz concerts and was the founder of the hot club of france which was the first jazz club in france interesting and he also was the first editor of jazz hot magazine oh my god <laughs> which was the club's official publication but he died of in Perry of Parkinson's in 1988, Uh which is kind of sad. He only lived like 11 more years. Yeah. 11 more years after his mother or no nine more years. Oh yeah. 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 Nine more years after his mother, which other way around. Yeah. Again, he, uh, he was 77. Wow. So, well, it was with a disease. So yeah, it wasn't like he died of old age. Oh, right, right. He, he was uh, afflicted. Um, and the last thing I'll talk about just real quick is just some notable places you can find their works. Because um, if you're interested in ever, if you're in the, the area of a museum that has their works, um, I mean, their works are featured all over the world. Um, and I didn't want to go into a huge list of, of uh, every single place you can find their work because you can do that online. You can just Google it. Right. But some notable places that their their work can be found, specifically Roberts in the U.S., is um, you can find it at the Art Institute of Chicago, the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, the Museum of Modern Art. I had to include this one because it's my my personal favorite, the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Yes, yeah. and I've seen the, uh, his works there, and it always makes me smile when I see his works there. Um, and it's all he also has works featured in the National Gallery of Art in D.C. Nice, which is cool. Um, and uh, in 1964, Sonia and her son Charles 
donated 114 works of theirs, both Sonia and Roberts, to the Musée National d'Art Moderne, the National Museum of Modern Art in Paris. Yeah. So, I think that's all I have on on these prolific painters. Their work's really cool. Go check it out. You won't be dis- disappointed. I mean, I I I find it hard to be disappointed when their work's so colorful and fun looking. I know. It's so pretty. I know. I love. I love. And like every piece, because there's some that are more like about like painting a landscape, but with the colors of their art movement. And it never their their art. I mean, in even what I know of them, was never like oh, we have to be sticklers about certain things, and right. we have to. It, it's it's a a statement we must make. No, it's more about it's just, just like painting, painting. painting what, what's what's what they're feeling. Because, like I was saying, they paint, paint. They have paintings that are just like landscapes painted in their colorful ways, but then they also just have like paintings of shapes and and feelings and like vibes yeah and i just i can vibe with that yeah <laughs> you know what i can also vibe with the theme music written by daryl banner for this podcast good segue babe thanks <laughs> thank you daryl banner for our theme song thank you it's very great and it's it's fun and we would also like to thank all of our wonderful listeners, supporters, all our fans. All 12 of them. All 12. I'm just kidding. We're not ever doing this stuff for fame. Yeah. We're just doing it because we like talking to each other. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it goes a long way when we know that people do listen. So every time I see even one listen on one of our episodes, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um. And speaking of, if you if we have a Patreon, if you know, if you feel inclined to help support us, sorry, um, it would help us out. Again, we don't do this for money. We don't do it for anything other than, you know, the gratification of kind of doing something. I think we both get a nice feeling of just having some a project to look forward to. Right. Um, but if you want to help us out, it helps us like get new upgraded stuff and and keep paying for the software used to edit and all those things. And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash really cultured. And you can sign up. We only have a few tiers, not nothing crazy. No. And we still have to, and that's the new year. So it's going to happen, but we have some Patreon only exclusive stuff coming that we have to record still, but life's been busy, man. Yeah. We just went through a bunch of holiday season shit that takes time, you know? Right. Um, But yeah, if you want to, become a supporter and support us that would be great we appreciate it we appreciate you um uh, and also speaking of shows if you like half of the people on this podcast that me you can listen to steven's other show the composer chronicles which is i don't know why i'm plugging it here because your show is much more popular than this show no but you never know yeah but if you happen to not know about his other show, go check it out because it's all about music. It's all about the music. It's not music. It's got special guests. It's got uh, interviews. It's got breakdowns. It's got yeah fun things. I was on an episode talking about Final Fantasy because I can always talk about Final Fantasy. I did a whole episode on here about it. Yeah. But I talk about the music. But I talk about that music. Um. But yeah, so I think you should go check it out. And give us a review, give us a, a like, and 
share with your friends our episodes. It gets us out there. It gets us the attention we deserve, damn it. Yeah. Um, but we appreciate you guys. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I have for you today, Stevan. Address me. Stevan Chirard. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Oof. No Frenchifying, Frankifying, Frankifying. Frankifying. No Frankifying my name because it doesn't sound right. Brian Edwards. <laughs> that sounds a little bit better than mine. Uh, well, anyway, I will ask you, listener, are you feeling really cultured today? Me too. No. That's not right. Goodbye. That, <laughs> Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.